a journal of the plague year, being observations or memorials of the most remarkable occurrences, as well public as private, which happened in London during the last great visitation in 1665, written by a citizen who continued all the while in London, never made public before. Episode 33 Having reached very near the end of his narrative, the author is in a mood to reconcile his accounts, and in a spirit of tolerance he strikes a balanced tone, urging that compassion color the judgments made, particularly of those clergy and physicians who fled the city in fear. Here and there there is a settling of scores, particularly with respect to quacks, mountbanks, and prognosticators, but in general he's inclined to forgive and move on, both as a matter of personal inclination and as a literary device toward concluding his story. He lists various offices that, in the main, distinguished themselves in their devotion to duty, speaks of the largely useless efforts to purge and purify houses affected by the distemper, and ends this episode as he began it, with a swipe at the uninvolved and indifferent national government. I might have thronged this account with many more remarkable things which occurred in the time of the infection, and particularly what passed between the Lord Mayor and the court, which was then at Oxford, and what directions were from time to time received from the government for their conduct on this critical occasion. But really the court concerned themselves so little, and that little they did was of so small import, that I do not see it of much moment to mention any part of it here except that of appointing a monthly fast in the city and the sending the royal charity to the relief of the poor, both of which I have mentioned before. Great was the reproach thrown on those physicians who left their patients during the sickness, and now they came to town again nobody cared to employ them. They were called deserters, and frequently bills were set up upon their doors and written, Here is a doctor to be let so that several of those physicians were fain for a while to sit still and look about them, or at least remove their dwellings, and set up in new places and among new acquaintance. The like was the case with the clergy, whom the people were indeed very abusive to, writing verses and scandalous reflections upon them, setting upon the church door, here is a pulpit to be let, or sometimes to be sold, which was worse. It was not the least of our misfortunes that with our infection, when it ceased, there did not cease the spirit of strife and contention, slander and reproach, which was really the great troubler of the nation's peace before. It was said to be the remains of the old animosities, which had so lately involved us all in blood and disorder. But as the late active indemnity had laid asleep the quarrel itself, so the government had recommended family and personal peace upon all occasions to the whole nation. But it could not be obtained, and particularly after the ceasing of the plague in London, when anyone that had seen the condition which the people had been in, and how they caressed one another at that time, promised to have more charity for the future, and to raise no more reproaches, I say, 
Anyone that had seen them then would have thought that they would have come together with another spirit at last. But, I say, it could not be obtained. The quarrel remained. The church and the Presbyterians were incompatible. As soon as the plague was removed, the dissenting ousted ministers who had supplied the pulpits, which were deserted by the incumbents, retired. They could expect no other but that they should immediately fall upon them and harass them with their penal laws, accept their preaching while they were sick, and persecute them as soon as they were recovered again. This even we that were of the church thought was very hard, and could by no means approve of it. But it was the government, and we could say nothing to hinder it. We could only say it was not our doing, and we could not answer for it. On the other hand, the dissenters reproaching those ministers of the church with going away and deserting their charge, abandoning the people in their danger, and when they had most need of comfort and the like, this we could by no means approve, for all men have not the same faith and the same courage, and the scripture commands us to judge the most favorably and according to charity. A plague is a formidable enemy, and is armed with terrors that every man is not sufficiently fortified to resist, or prepared to stand the shock against. It is very certain that a great many of the clergy who were in circumstances to do it withdrew and fled for the safety of their lives. But tis true also that a great many of them stayed, and many of them fell in the calamity and in the discharge of their duty. It is true some of the dissenting turned-out ministers stayed, and their courage is to be commended and highly valued, but these were not in abundance. It cannot be said that they all stayed, and that none retired into the country, any more than it could be said of the church clergy that they all went away. Neither did all those that went away go without substituting curates and others in their place, to do the offices needful, and to visit the sick as far as it was practicable, so that, upon the whole, an allowance of charity might have been made on both sides, and we should have considered that such a time as this of 1665 is not to be paralleled in history, and that it is not the stoutest courage that will always support men in such cases. I had not said this, but had rather chosen to record the courage and religious zeal of those of both sides, who did hazard themselves for the service of the poor people in their distress, without remembering that any failed in their duty on either side. But the want of temper among us has made the contrary to this necessary, some that stayed, not only boasting too much of themselves, but reviling those that fled, branding them with cowardice, deserting their flocks, and acting the part of the hireling, and the like. I recommend it to the charity of all good people to look back and reflect duly upon the terrors of the time, and whoever does so will see that it is not an ordinary strength that could support it. It was not like appearing in the head of an army, or charging a body of horse in the field, but it was charging death itself on his pale horse. To stay was indeed to die, and it could be esteemed nothing less, especially as things appeared at the latter end of August and the beginning of September. And as there was reason to expect them at that time, for no man expected, and I dare say believed, that the distemper would take so sudden a turn as it did, and fall immediately, two thousand in a week, when there was such a prodigious number of people sick at that time as it was known there was, and then it was that many shifted away that had stayed most of the time before.
Besides, if God gave strength to some more than to others, was it to boast of their ability to abide the stroke and upbraid those that had not the same gift and support? Or ought not they rather to have been humble and thankful if they were rendered more useful than their brethren? I think it ought to be recorded to the honor of such men, as well clergy as physicians, surgeons, apothecaries, magistrates, and officers of every kind, as also all useful people who ventured their lives in discharge of their duty, and as most certainly all such as stayed did to the last degree, and several of all these kinds did not venture but lose their lives on that sad occasion. I was once making a list of all such, I mean of all those professions and employments who thus died, as I call it, in the way of their duty, but it was impossible for a private man to come at a certainty in the particulars. I only remembered that there died sixteen clergymen, two aldermen, five physicians, thirteen surgeons within the city and liberties before the beginning of September. But this being, as I said before, the great crisis and extremity of the infection, it can be no complete list. As to inferior people, I think there died six and forty constables and head boroughs in the two parishes of Stepney and Whitechapel, but I could not carry my list on, for when the violent rage of the distemper in September came upon us, it drove us out of all measures. Men did then no more die by tale and by number. They might put out a weekly bill and call them seven or eight thousand or what they pleased. To certain they died by heaps and were buried by heaps, that is to say, without account. And if I might believe some people who were more abroad and more conversant with those things than I, though I was public enough for one that had no more business to do than I had, I say, if I may believe them, there was not many less buried those first three weeks in September than 20,000 per week. However, the others aver the truth of it, yet I rather choose to keep to the public account Seven and eight thousand per week is enough to make good all that I have said of the terror of those times. And it is much to the satisfaction of me that write, as well as those that read, to be able to say that everything is set down with moderation, and rather within compass than beyond it. Upon all these accounts, I say, I could wish, when we were recovered, our conduct had been more distinguished for charity and kindness in remembrance of the past calamity, and not so much valuing ourselves upon our boldness in staying, as if all men were cowards that fly from the hand of God, or that those who stay do not sometimes owe their courage to their ignorance and despising the hand of their Maker, which is a criminal kind of desperation and not a true courage. I cannot but leave it upon record that the civil officers, such as constables, head boroughs, lord mayors, and sheriff's men, as also parish officers, whose business it was to take charge of the poor, did their duties in general with as much courage as any, and perhaps with more, because their work was attended with more hazards, and lay more among the poor, who were more subject to be infected, and in the most pitiful plight when they were taken with the infection. But then it must be added, too, that a great number of them died. Indeed, it was scarce possible it should be otherwise. I have not said one word here about the physic or preparations that we ordinarily made use of on this terrible occasion. I mean we that went frequently abroad and up down street, as I did, 
Much of this was already talked of in the books and bills of our quack doctors, of whom I have said enough already. It may, however, be added that the College of Physicians were daily publishing several preparations, which they had considered of in the process of their practice, and which, being to be had in print, I avoid repeating them for that reason. One thing I could not help observing, what befell one of the quacks who published that he had a most excellent preservative against the plague, which whoever kept about them should never be infected or liable to infection. This man, who, we may reasonably suppose, did not go abroad without some of his excellent preservative in his pocket, yet was taken by the distemper and carried off in two or three days. I am not of the number of the physic haters or physic despisers. On the contrary, I have often mentioned the regards I had to the dictates of my particular friend, Dr. Heath. But yet I must acknowledge that I made use of little or nothing, except, as I have observed, to keep a preparation of strong scent to have ready, in case I met with anything of offensive smells, or went too near any burying place or dead body. Neither did I do what I know some did, keep the spirits always high and hot with cordials and wine and such things, and which, as I observed, one learned physician used himself so much to as that he could not leave them off when the infection was quite gone, and so became a sot for all his life thereafter. I remember my friend the doctor used to say that there was a certain set of drugs and preparations which were all certainly good and useful in the case of an infection, out of which, or with which, physicians might make an infinite variety of medicines, as the ringers of bells make several hundred different rounds of music by the changing in order or sounds but in six bells, and that all these preparations should be really very good. Therefore, said he, I do not wonder that so vast a throng of medicines is offered in the present calamity, and almost every physician prescribes or prepares a different thing, as his judgment or experience guides him. But, says my friend, let all the prescriptions of all the physicians in London be examined, and it will be found that they are all compounded of the same things, with such variations only as the particular fancy of the doctor leads him to. So that, says he, every man, judging a little of his own constitution and manner of his living, and circumstances of his being infected, may direct his own medicines out of the ordinary drugs and preparations. Only that, says he, some recommend one thing as most sovereign, and some another. Some, says he, think that pill rough, which is called itself the anti-pestilential pill, is the best preparation that can be made of. Others think that Venice treacle is sufficient of itself to resist the contagion. And I, says he, think as both these think, that is, that the last is good to take beforehand to prevent it, and the first, if touched, to expel it. According to my opinion, I several times took Venice treacle and a sound sweat upon it and thought myself as well fortified against the infection as any one could be fortified by the power of physic. As for quackery and mountbanks, of which the town was so full, I listened to none of them, and have observed often since, with some wonder, that for two years after the plague I scarcely saw or heard any one of them about town. Some fancied they were all swept away in the infection to a man, 
and were for calling it a particular mark of God's vengeance upon them for leading the poor people into the pit of destruction, merely for the lucre of a little money they got by them. But I cannot go that length neither. That abundance of them died is certain. Many of them came within the reach of my own knowledge, but that all of them were swept off, I much question. I believe rather that they fled into the country and tried their practices among the people there, who were in apprehension of the infection before it came among them. This, however, is certain. Not a man of them appeared for a great while in or about London. There were indeed several doctors who published bills recommending that several physical preparations for cleansing the body, as they call it, after the plague, and needful, as they said, for such people to take who had been visited and had been cured, whereas I must own I believe that it was of the opinion of the most eminent physicians at that time that the plague was itself a sufficient purge, and that those who escaped the infection needed no physic to cleanse their bodies of any other things, the running sores and tumors and so forth, which were broke and kept open by the direction of the physicians, having sufficiently cleansed them, and that all other distempers and causes of distempers were effectually carried off that way. And as the physicians gave this as their opinions wherever they came, the quacks got little business. There were indeed several little hurries which happened after the decrease of the plague, and which, whether they were contrived to fright and disorder the people, as some imagined, I cannot say. But sometimes we were told the plague would return by such a time, and the famous Solomon Eagle, the naked Quaker I have mentioned, prophesied ill tidings every day, and several others telling us that London had not been sufficiently scourged, and that sorer and severer strokes were yet behind. Had they stopped there, or had they descended to particulars and told us the city should the next year be destroyed by fire, then indeed, when we had seen it come to pass, we should not have been to blame to have paid more than a common respect to their prophetic spirits. At least we should have wondered at them, and have been more serious in our inquiries after the meaning of it, and whence they had the foreknowledge. But as they generally told us of a relapse into the plague, we have had no concern since that about them. Yet by those frequent clamors, we were all kept with some kind of apprehensions constantly upon us. And if any died suddenly, or if the spotted fevers at any time increased, we were presently alarmed, much more if the number of the plague increased, for to the end of the year there were always between 200 and 300 of the plague. On any of these occasions, I say, we were alarmed anew. Those who remember the city of London before the fire must remember that there was then no such place as we now call Newgate Market, but in the middle of the street which is now called Blowbladder Street, and which had its name from the butchers, who used to kill and dress their sheep there, and who, it seems, had a custom to blow up their meat with pipes to make it look thicker and fatter than it was, and were punished there for it by the Lord Mayor. I say, from the end of the street toward Newgate there stood two long rows of shambles for the selling meat. It was in those shambles that two persons falling down dead, as they were buying meat, gave rise to a rumor that the meat was all infected, which, though it might have frighted the people and spoiled the market for two or three days, yet it appeared plainly afterward that there was nothing of truth in the suggestion. But nobody can account for the possession of fear when it takes hold of the mind.
However, it pleased God by the continuing of the winter weather so to restore the health of the city that by February following we reckoned the distemper quite ceased, and then we were not so easily frighted again. There was still a question among the learned, and at first perplexed the people a little, and that was in what manner to purge the house and goods where the plague had been, and how to render them habitable again, which had been left empty during the time of the plague. Abundance of perfumes and preparations were prescribed by physicians, some of one kind and some of another, in which the people who listened to them put themselves to a great, and indeed, in my opinion, to an unnecessary expense. And the poorer people, who only set open their windows night and day, burned brimstone, pitch and gunpowder, and such things in their rooms, did as well as the best. Nay, the eager people who, as I said above, came home in haste and at all hazards, found little or no inconvenience in their houses, nor in the goods, and did little or nothing to them. However, in general, prudent, cautious people did enter into some measures for airing and sweetening their houses, and burned perfumes, incense, benjamin, rosin, and sulfur in their rooms close shut up, and then let the air carry it all out with a blast of gunpowder. Others caused large fires to be made all day and all night for several days and nights, by the same token that two or three were pleased to set their houses on fire, and so effectually sweetening them by burning them down to the ground, as particularly one at Radcliffe, one in Holborn, and one at Westminster, besides two or three that were set on fire, but the fire was happily got out again before it went far enough to burn down the houses, and one citizen's servant, I think it was in Thames Street, carried so much gunpowder into his master's house for clearing it of the infection, and managed it so foolishly that he blew up part of the roof of the house. But the time was not fully come that the city was to be purged by fire, nor was it far off, for within nine months more I saw it all lying in ashes, when, as some of our quacking philosophers pretend, the seeds of the plague were entirely destroyed and not before, a notion too ridiculous to speak of here, since, had the seeds of the plague remained in the houses, not to be destroyed but by fire, how has it been that they have not since broken out, seeing all those buildings in the suburbs and liberties, all in the great parishes of Stepney, Whitechapel, Aldgate, Bishopsgate, Shoreditch, Cripplegate, and St. Giles, where the fire never came, and where the plague raged with the greatest violence, remain still in the same condition they were in before. But to leave these things just as I found them, it was certain that those people who were more than ordinarily cautious of their health did take particular directions for what they called seasoning of their houses, and abundance of costly things were consumed on that account, which I cannot but say, not only seasoned those houses, as they desired, but filled the air with very grateful and wholesome smells, which others had the share of the benefit of, as well as those who were at the expenses of them. And yet, after all, though the poor came to town very precipitately, as I have said, yet I must say the rich made no such haste. The men of business, indeed, came up, but many of them did not bring their families to town till the spring came on, and that they saw reason to depend upon it that the plague would not return. The court, indeed, came up soon after Christmas 
but the nobility and gentry, except as depended upon and had employment under the administration, did not come so soon. <laughs>